Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Mystery author Clara Benson could say, along with Mark Twain, that reports of her death were greatly exaggerated, but in her case, she only has herself to blame. She wrote her popular 10-book Angela Marchmont series in the persona of a long-dead 1920s mystery author named, funnily enough, Clara Benson. And when she finally confessed to her readers that Clara was a pen name and that she was very much alive in the 21st century, just a few weren't too pleased. Most, though, enjoyed the ruse and begged her to stay alive and write more books. Hi there, I'm your host, Jenny Wheeler, and today Clara talks about the difficulties of marketing yourself when you're dead and why she so adores the early 20th century. But before we get to Clara, just a quick mention that the show notes for this binge reading episode can be found on the website, thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find links to Clara's books and website, a transcript of the whole conversation, and links to the author she loves to read. And now here's Clara. Hello there, Clara, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. That's wonderful. Now, we like to start this off in a once a time, once upon a time framework because we are storytellers. So was there a once upon a time moment when you decided you wanted to write fiction? And if so, when was it? When was it? Um, I think um, I think probably like a lot of writers, I just always thought I would write. Um but without actually doing very much writing. I, I used to write cr- creatively when I was a child at, at school and everything, that kind of thing. But um, as I, I never really, I never completed anything. I, I, it's not like I ever completed a book when I was very young or anything. I tried writing a novel in my, in my twenties, um, which will never ever see the light of day because it's absolutely appalling. And then I, I kind of gave it up. But um, I was listening to your um, podcast with H.Y. Hannah, and I think she had quite a similar thing to me is reaching a certain age and then suddenly deciding, oh, well, I've done nothing with my life. If I'm going to do this thing I really had, better start doing it now. Um, the actual catalyst for me was um, uh, about just over 10 years ago. Um, um, my dad was sadly um, diagnosed with terminal cancer. And th- th- that's the kind of moment when everything starts coming home to you. And I, I started thinking, you know, oh, oh gosh, I'm, I, you know, my, my dad's not going to be with us much longer and I've done nothing to make him proud. So I thought I've, I've really got to do something. He was such a reader. Um, so I thought um, if I'm going to do it, this really is the moment to start. So I started writing um, when he when he was ill. I, sadly, the book never got finished um before he died but he did know I was writing and and also there's the there's the thing that um just selfishly when when these sort of things happen to you you also get a, a, an impending sense of your own mortality so that's an, another catalyst that got me going um 
so yes, I mean, it, it actually took a few years to finish the book. And my dad sadly never never got to see the murder at Sissingham Hall or, or anything I wrote, but he did know I was writing. So I, I felt quite good that he knew that before he died. But I would say that's what really started it off. And was he into golden age mysteries? Um, not so much golden age mysteries. He was he was he read mysteries. He was probably more into thrillers. But he did read mysteries, um, more modern ones. He was always recommending stuff to me, and he used to get really annoyed if I didn't read. Ex- exactly the books he recommended to me but uh, you know I was I was all I was more into the golden age stuff but yeah he was a huge reader I mean and that's where um, that's where me and my brother got it from as well so because my brother writes uh, books as well he um he writes science fiction um under the name Anthony James and I I always think that at least my dad would be proud of us both now if he knew but he he never really got to see that which is very sad yeah amazing terrific um, you've now got two historical series that are that are either underway or completed. Angela Marchmont that's marched up to I think it's ten books and a number of short yeah. story um, issues as yeah. well. And then Freddie Pilkington Soames. One's a mystery yes. and the other is an adventure series. Could you tell us what how you see the difference between adventure and mystery? Um, I I don't think there's a huge difference. I did I um. The Freddy books are, they're definitely mysteries. They were meant to be mysteries, but um, he's hes a bit, there possi- there's possibly a slight bit more action in them because um, Angela, who um, was a very kind of genteel lady detective, that there are certain things she couldn't really do, whereas um, that, that Freddy can do because he's a man, um, obviously the, the, the bit more of a different, different role than the 1920s. For example, um, Freddie does things like he he can just um you know wander into a, a greasy spoon and, and start talking to someone to ask you know to ask them questions about something that happens in one in, in one of my I think blackmail in Belgravia I have him going into a cafe and and start and just kind of picking up a conversation with a taxi driver which is something that say Angela couldn't do um, he also he also has a lot more he he spends quite a long time a lot of time like dangling from rooftops and 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 getting into punch ups in nightclubs which again that's not something Angela would ever do it's just it it, it just um it, if you put adventure it just gives it a little more scope to be maybe a little bit more active um it's slightly more just a little bit more motion in the story shall we say yes and, and, and Angela just used to kind of wander around and occasionally drop a question to somebody right and would it be right then to say that Freddie is not quite so much in the classic golden age model I mean um, Angela is very much it's that kind of drawing room thing where you're presented with a dozen possible um, suspects and then the investigator works through the whole list and eliminates some and and that that sort of approach Freddie's not quite like that it's, um, there's, there is a certain element of that. I mean, I, the, I think the, I've got four now. The first three were set in London, so there's a lot of kind of wandering around from from house to house. So it's not such a country house thing. The fourth one, um, a case of duplicity in Dorset, that is much more of a traditional country house mystery where you've got um, um, lots of guests gathered in a, in a, a big grand stately pile, and there are kind of um, missing jewels and, and secret passages and people bashing each other over the head and a limited number of suspects so um, I haven't I haven't limited myself too much but yeah I, I think um sometimes it's nice to go back to the country house thing yeah but yeah I think it's probably it's probably slightly less in the classical tradition also the fact that he's he's a male detective there's that there doesn't seem to be 
so much of that. There's, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I'm just, um, yeah, but at, at the moment, the trend seems to be towards female detectives. So I thought um, having a male detective is just a little bit of a change. Whenever I think of the golden age, I think of Poirot. Yeah, so I suppose he's, he's not female, is he? No, <laughs> <laughs> no but he, yeah, he, he does the whole kind of, he, he doesn't do a lot of running around or dangling from rooftops either. Oh, he, you know, he, um, he, 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 he's all very just kind of walking around and, and sitting in deck chairs and, and asking people questions and that kind of thing. Twirling his moustache. <laughs> Twirling his moustache, yes. <laughs> They're both set in the 20s and 30s, mainly in England, although Angela does in later books go to Italy and the US. What do you think the appeal of the historical aspect of it is for you and for readers? Oh, I, I mean, I, I think um, just historical fiction is just enormously popular. I think it just it harks back to a time, I, whether rightly or wrongly, is just perceived as much simpler. Um, you know, ev- everyone has nostalgia for the old days, don't they? Oh, things are much better then. And, you know, I mean, uh, I, you know, obviously there, there's the, the, the fashions and there's, I mean, I, I would hate to, to the, the formality of the clothes they wore in those days, getting changed for dinner, it would kill me. But the, the idea of it is just lovely. You think, you know, I'm going to put on a sequined evening gown and, you know, um, I'm going to go out and I'm going to put a nice hat on, which I would never wear a hat when I go out because it would just squash my hair. But, you know, it's just the, the appeal of it. It's just, it's just lovely. You know, you just think... And then you, ha- you know, think. Then the idea of, um, you know, having servants. If I, you know, if I could just click my fingers and just somebody would make me coffee, it just sounds fantastic. <laughs> you know, um, that's that's um, that's a bit more how things were. These, I, I mean, I know that that's um, that it's we have this idealised version of what it was like because obviously the vast majority of people couldn't click their fingers and have someone bring them coffee, but most of the people would be the ones bringing the coffee. Um, but I think we all just have this this idealised idea of what it was what it was like in the past, which is probably not true, but you know, it, less complicated. I think. Yes, when you refer to the country house mystery, there is definitely a whole trope and world really of those country house mysteries, and you do feel that you can kind of sink into a bit of escapism when you're reading them, don't you? Oh yes, you do. Yeah, I mean, we have um, we we occasionally this, there where I live, there are a lot of actual um, stately homes around here, and we we quite often go and visit them, and it's just so nice looking around the rooms and thinking they they have these enormous beds with you know. Um, you know, big curtains around them, and you just think, oh, it must have been so nice living in these places. You know, um, obviously nobody lives in them now because they're all just open for, as museums. But yeah, there's just a whole. I can see the appeal of it because it's just it's it's like how the other half lives. This this whole grand lifestyle that that nobody really has anymore. Yes, that's right. And actually, even in those years, it was on its way out, wasn't it? There's a certain um, poignancy about it. Yes, yes. I mean, there was um, the. I think after the First World War, there was lots of um, uh, death duties, and and people couldn't really afford to keep up their country estates. A lot of them they were sold off for nursing homes. Um, a lot of them were demolished. Um, you know, just for, for various things. It, there was there was a whole a whole. It, there was a whole, um, I think, possibly even national discussion about it, what was happening to our great stately homes. And, and you know, sadly, a lot of them did, did disappear in the end. So it was, it was probably the, the last hurrah of the country house. So I think yes. that's, partly, that's partly the fascination as well, I think. Yes, yes. You've said goodbye to Angela now. And without spoiling anything, you do say that you gave her a happy ending. But tell us a little bit about the process of, of, of ending a series. Is that a particular challenge in itself? Um, it it was actually. I mean, and and uh, 
partly for a very practical reason, because when I wrote the last book of the series, I was in the middle of um, moving house, which um, didn't didn't help. But um, apart apart from that, yes, it was it was um, it was. It was quite a challenge, actually, because I I um, spent all these books um, building up this picture of Angela, um, and I I actually spent quite a long time kind of crafting a little air of mystery about her, and I knew at some point I was going to have to basically explain it because otherwise I would have got lynched if I'd never explained what this mystery about her was. And then when it came to explaining the mystery, um, it was just oh gosh, you know, it's kind of coming to the end of an era. It was, um, and it was. You know, it was, it was quite it was quite hard to do, really. Um, and I and there's a, I, I do get a lot of um, emails about Angela. Everybody absolutely adores her, and everyone's like, "Please bring Angela back! Please bring Angela back!" So, um, I, I'm not sure we've entirely said goodbye to her. So, yes, I, I felt there was a little ambiguity about it that you'd left the door open a weeny bit. But did you know that her backstory before you, when you first started the series, or did it develop as you went along? Not not when I first started the series. Um, I I kind of knew um, a, a couple of things about her, and, and I I did. I was think there were there were a few options I, I gave myself, and um, I think probably by book three it was starting to take shape. What would happen? Because um, um, if you if you've only read the first one, the, the books nine and ten are a kind of two part story, where all these awful things happen to her, and. Um, I can't. I can't say anything without giving away spoilers. But it's it's basically the last two um, stories are basically about Angela and her her past um, after she solved all these mysteries. So they're, they're mysteries as well. And I started developing them, I think, early on in the series. And and kind of there are certain characters who are who are very important to the last two books in the series who appear earlier on in the series. And I was thinking, oh, I could do this with that person, or I could do that with that person. So I did know. Um, it was taking shape as I was going on. I was very excited to write these these last two books, especially book nine, which is where it all comes to a head. And actually, by the time I came to write book nine, I, I already had it all plotted out, which is unusual for me. I, I don't normally start plotting a book until I, I sit down and start writing it. But this one, by the time I came to I I, I I was writing probably about book seven and book eight. I was I was taking notes for book nine. So by the time it came to book nine, I, I had it all plotted out, and I was like, "I'm going, I'm going to write this thing." But the the problem was, it was it came to this series came to such a climax that after that, I couldn't really just go back to normal Angela books. So we had to end it there, really. Yeah. Um, it was, was sad, but I, I was so desperate to tell this story, I just couldn't wait to tell this story. I thought, I've, I've got to do it. Um, so I, if, if if Angela comes back, it'll probably have to be in a slightly different um in a different way because I, yes. I don't think I, can go, I don't think I can go back to that that the old. Um, the old like normal country house mysteries because we've we've done that. Yes, but I, yes. I don't want to say goodbye to her because she, she's so lovely. Everyone loves her. I love her. She's marvelous. <laughs> there's, there's also another interesting layer to this. You wrote the book gradually. Those books developed their own persona in terms of your involvement with them. In the sense that I'm taking a long way around to say this, but you wrote them as if you really were a writer in the 1920s called Clara Benson. I did. How did that happen? How did that happen? <laughs> How did that happen? That's a very good question. <laughs> um, I think um, 
I, I don't, one of these things that just seemed like a good idea at the time. I was, um, when I was thinking about writing a book, I just, um, you, you think about writers and I think, oh, well, writers, they have to like talk to people. And obviously I'm, I'm probably a bit, um, a bit awkward with, with it socially. So I thought, but if I write a book, they'll, they'll kind of, I'll have to talk to people and they'll ask me difficult questions I don't know the answer to. How can I get around this? I, was, I will pretend to be dead. You can't possibly ask questions of a dead person. And then I thought, but that's also a good opportunity to write um, a book and just pretend it was written then. And it's, it's really, um, it was it was great fun. I mean, you you just, um, it's like getting into character really, because I, I the, 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 the Clara style, it's not, it's not really me. Clara is, she's kind of a, a character. She, I do sort of write in character and I just, I sit down and I, I try and imagine a, this kind of, um, kind of, I don't know, this, this, this lady of a certain age, I don't know, sitting, <laughs> sitting, writing these books, um, about things that she observes in her everyday life. I don't know. It was just, um, it was, it was just very fun to do. Amazing. And then you, I know that on your website, you've got a confession when you finally <laughs> told your readers that you had done this. What sort yes. of response did you get? Uh, I, I, I did think I was going to get lynched. Um, I, didn't, <laughs> I think there'd be pitchforks and tortures. There were actually, most people were really, really, really nice about it. Thank you, everyone who was really nice about it. Um, um, most people, I think there were a few people who weren't too happy for, and, and I, I do apologize to them because I, this was never meant in a, in a nasty way at all. It was all always meant to be a bit of fun, but most people were like, Oh, I'm so pleased that you're alive and you can write more books, which was incredibly flattering. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was so happy. And I, I, it's even now I still get, um, cause I, I, I think I've, I've taken out the, the dead bit out of all the books now, but you occasionally get a person who, who downloaded a book like a long time ago and it's still got the dead bit in it. Um, and they'll, they'll read to the end and they'll read the confession and they'll just send me an email saying oh I just found out you're still alive I'm so happy um <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure that was the best idea I ever had but you know it, it, it's done and, and now I, I'm definitely still alive I am real um, <laughs> were there people who had already guessed I get there were. I mean, I think a, a lot of people had guessed uh, because I wasn't very, I wasn't very good at carrying the fiction through. Because I'm, 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 strangely enough, I'm not actually a very good liar. So I, I, um, I, I just gave a very, very short biography and didn't say anything else, which was obviously bound to um, kind of make people smell a rat. You'd think there'd be more details about me somewhere online if, if this was actually true. A lot of people had guessed. Um, a lot of people hadn't. A lot of people were completely thrown by it. Um, um, which was I, I, I would I would say that was nice because the, but then it will sound like I'm I'm really pleased I fooled people but no I'm 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 quite pleased I managed to write in a style that did sound like um, the 1920s because that's what I was aiming at that's what I would have liked to have read so yes. that's what I wanted to produce yes oh look that's fantastic so and you have mentioned that you wanted to really quite reproduce faithfully something in the style and tone of the golden age mysteries and you've really done that haven't you do you feel as if you've sort of completed that um challenge for yourself now i i, I feel like i feel like i did a not bad job i i think i am quite a natural mimic so it's something that um something that i hoped i could do i i i feel like i there's, there are obviously some modern sensibilities in there. I, I tried very hard not to be too modern about things. I mean, I, the, the, the thing about historical fiction for me, as I explained in, in my confession, was that you, you get all these um, you, 
readers of historical fiction like to have a lot of detail. They like to have a lot of rich period detail to transport them back to the age that they're reading about. Um, and I'm I'm really not very good at writing descriptions. So actually, that was, that's partly laziness on my point. I thought on my part, I thought you know if I'm if I uh, <laughs> pretend to be writing in the 1920s, nobody would be describing this is what a car looked like in the 1920s. Or and or you you get these things, you get these like coy references to that. You know that nice Mr. Hitler who's going to save Europe, and you know, and you can you, you know you're sitting here in the present day going ah ha ha, I see what you did there. Um, I didn't really want to do that. It's a bit. It's a bit too kind of self-conscious. I, I wanted to be to do it unself-consciously. So just so it kind of, you know, just kind. Of, I, re, I mean, I realise it's pastiche, but I, I, I didn't do it in a in a scornful way in any way. I did it out of a genuine love of of the genre. Um, that, that's why. Yes, sure. Look, perhaps moving on from discussing the specific books, turning to your wider career, can you tell us something about your life before you became a writer and possible experiences that influenced your work? Um, yes, I well, I used to be a uh, before I started writing. I was a translator for many years. So when I started writing, I, I was kind of used to producing. Um, you know, documents and 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 working with with sentences. So it, it wasn't. It was kind of a move sideways rather than a. I just wanted to um, start you, you, with, with when you're translating. You're not writing your own ideas. Obviously, you're getting to produce or you know craft a sentence nicely, but you don't get to use your own ideas. And what I wanted was to add my own ideas into the mix. Um, um, experiences didn't. Did you say um, what was the other question? Sorry. Experiences that influenced your work. I wondered if there was anything that kind of would have been a trigger that you thought at the time. Oh gosh, that would make an interesting story or something like that. I think just just being a reader, really. When when I was um when I was young, I I was hugely into mystery stories. I, I read, you know, I I started out with the um. I think probably Enid Blyton, like everybody does, Enid Blyton, mystery, um, five find outers, moved on to Nancy Drew, then on to, I think, Agatha Christie. And then once I'd kind of torn through all the Agatha Christie books, I moved on to, you know, Dorothy L. Sayers. And, and, and I think, I think I just, um, I, I when when it came to write when it came to writing, I thought because I actually I did sit down and said what what shall I write, and I thought I was like I can't write a mystery. I know I can't write a mystery, and I sat down to prove to myself that I couldn't write a mystery, and I think I actually proved quite well that I can't write a mystery. But um, I, I I I found that I it doesn't necessarily matter if you can't write a brilliant mystery. Uh, people like the characters and everything, but yeah, yes. I, I would I would love to be able to write a really difficult mystery. That um that would really puzzle people. I'm, I'm not sure that's my forte, but yeah, I would. I would, if you ask me what I would want to write, it would be mystery. Yes, yes. I think your plotting seems to me to be really quite involved. I, I, I <laughs> you mentioned earlier that you visited country houses in your neighbourhood, and I wondered if you were going to set up a magical mystery literary tour for your books, Angela or Freddie. Are there particular places that you would suggest people go? And I'm thinking of the country houses. Are there any around today that you'd recommend readers would, you know, really get a kick out of visiting? Oh, there, there are there are loads. I mean, I I live in Yorkshire, Yorkshire, and there are there are so many around here. It's fantastic. Um, we've got um. Harewood House, or I think it's Harwood House. I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it. Which was the home of um, oh Princess Mary. 
um, some Princess Mary. I'm not quite sure which Princess Mary. Um, that's in that's just outside Leeds, which is absolutely palatial. There's another place um, in uh, near Pontefract, I think, called Nostal Priory, and we, we they're all part of the National Trust, and we we go there. And just have a look around, and um, you you can go in, you can pay to get in, and they're they're just fantastic, and you, you, they're really good for inspiration if you are possibly even a little bit too grand for some of the country house mysteries, because a lot of country house mysteries are not necessarily in huge palaces. Um, but yeah, there, there there are so many places. I mean, to be honest, you you could just um, throw a stone in England and, and hit one. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Look, turning to Clara as reader, you have mentioned your passion for the golden age, but have you? I gather you've probably read more widely than that. What What else do you like to binge read, and is there anything that you'd recommend to readers today? Um, I just um, again, I was I was listening to a uh, H Y Hannah, and she had the same answer as me. I see she she reads a lot of uh, Mary Stuart as well. I have just discovered Mary Stuart this year, and I'm I was blown away. I mean, it's um. She's amazing. She writes this romantic suspense, or wrote this romantic suspense, because um she's uh, she's she's dead now. She but she there was all kind of set in the post-war years, and they're all people, kind of um, kind of women in kind of big dresses and kind of driving around the south of France and kind of suave men with cigarettes. It's just, it's just fantastic stuff. All this and she she just um <clears throat> she just built up an atmosphere like nobody else. Um, and I don't know why I've never heard of it. She's actually from the same town as me. She she was born in the same the same town as me. I'm from Sunderland originally, and she she was born there. And I just why have I never heard of this woman? Because I used to read every. I mean, I used to get all my reading from the library, and you'd you'd think she would have been in the library, and maybe she was. I just missed her. But um, so I've been. I've actually because I haven't read all her books yet. I'm saving them. I'm I'm not reading them too fast. I'm tr- I'm trying not to binge read them because I don't want to. I don't want to ruin it. I would like to kind of savour the pleasure, but she, I, I absolutely recommend her. She's fabulous. <laughs> That's so gorgeous. That's gorgeous. Yes, I do know that HY said that she she loved that romantic suspense. Uh, it's sort of slightly more full-blown than probably what you could do today, but, um, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, romantic suspense these days, it's taken on um, a, a different, a slightly different thing. It's its more romance and it, it tends to be um, like Navy SEALs and, and um, women on the run and things like that. It's a lot It's a lot more, um, I think it's a lot more action packed. Whereas whereas the, with uh, Mary Stuart, you've got the slow build. Like um, also you've got um, another one I like is uh, Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. That's got the slow build and the, the kind of layering of the atmosphere. Um, I, I, I love all that stuff. It's fabulous. You definitely want to stay below the 1960s by the sound of it. <laughs> I do. I do. I, I just love that. I just love the way you can just like, um, you, the, I love the way they talked. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just so, I tried, I did actually try writing um, um, a modern book, um, but I, I was told it sounded a bit old fashioned. I, I think even if I try writing books set in the model, modern day, they're going to sound a bit old fashioned. So maybe historical fiction is where I'll be staying. Sure. Look, flicking back right to the beginning and your mention of the book that you wrote in the 20s, what genre was that? Oh, 
that was awful. <laughs> it was um, it was no, oh, it was meant to be. I, 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 for years, I thought I'll go back to this and I'll finish it because this is quite a good book. And then I went back to it recently with the benefit of having pu- written and published several books. And I thought this is awful. It's fifty thousand words, and and nothing's happened in it. I mean, it was supposed to be full of action and 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 people dropping dead here, there, and everywhere. It was meant to be a kind of comedy thriller, but instead, it just seems to be fifty thousand words of scenes of people watching the TV and getting ready to go out. I thought this is rubbish. Um, so I think it might. I would like to go because my, my basic idea in there, there's a there's a germ of an idea in there. I would possibly like to rewrite it one day, but I think it, it's probably going to be more of a short story than anything else. I mean, fifty thousand words, and and then the dead person hasn't died yet. And <laughs> normally, by fifty thousand words, we're we're all, we're all gathered in the living room, and and the, and my detective saying, "You're the murderer." Yes. So yeah, it's, yeah, and I, I think we, we, you you've kind of you, you've. I think everyone has this novel in their drawer that's never going to see the light of day, and that's mine. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're starting to run out of time, Clara, so we're just circling around from the end to the beginning. At this stage in your career, if you were doing it all again, is there anything that you would change, or do you feel that it's all unfolded as it was meant to be? Um, I'm I'm not sure. I think um, I would probably think more carefully about whether about the dead thing, about pretending to be dead. Um, and I, I, I think also just from an authorly point of view, I would possibly pay a bit more attention to marketing because I kind of just launched the books and, and let them, let them fly. So um, when it came to um, having to actually when when, I, when it came to the, the actually being alive and wanting to market them it was um it was a bit more difficult because I, I didn't really know what I was doing other than that I, I don't think there's much I, I think maybe I would not release the murder at Sissingham Hall um as it is I think it could probably it, it's it's quite a flawed work it was my first novel I, I might also I'd, I'd probably pay a bit more attention to that and and um make it a bit better before I just chucked it on Amazon but I mean, at the time, I didn't know anything. So it, it just went up there. I, I just finished it and I thought, okay, um, now what do I do with it? Um, I probably should have polished it a bit more before I, but, but now it's, it's, it's kind of sold so many copies. I can't really, I can't really go and rewrite it now. And I wouldn't want to. It's obviously, um, it's obviously got something that people like. Sure. So were you indie published right from the beginning or have you got a traditional publisher? No, I was, I was indie published right from the beginning. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I, I, I'm not a very, I'm not a very patient person. I sent the murder at Sissingham Hall to I think two agents who replied practically as soon as my, as my, <laughs> was a no, was practically as soon as my finger left the um, the, the trigger. Um, and I think after that, I just sat on it and and on the on the novel. I thought, well, what shall I do? And eventually, I just put it on Amazon just for something to do with it, just so it wasn't sat on my hard drive. And then it then it took off, so I, I wrote some more. That's fantastic. You must. I mean, that's quite early to get into indie publishing, isn't it? I mean, it's a full decade. Um, it was. Um, well, it, I didn't actually publish it. That I, I published it actually. It's, it's coming up to six oh. years because it took me a long time to write it. It was. I did start writing it ten years ago. Yeah, but I, by the time I I published, there were. It was still quite early on in the e-publishing revolution. But people were starting to talk about it, and there, there were stories of people who'd done really well. Um, so I thought, well, I'll, I'll give it a go. You know, it can't hurt, can it? And it worked out really well. 
That's right. It do, it does amuse me to think that yes, how does a dead author yeah, market her work? You, you definitely can't do it under your own name. <laughs> can you? Really, no. I was like, no, okay, I have there's something I didn't think through here. <laughs> Luckily, the, the books kind of sold themselves. I don't know what I'd have done if they hadn't. <laughs> That's wonderful. It's it's partly I think being early on you wouldn't perhaps be quite so lucky today with that but <laughs> no I would it would not work, especially given the, the the cover I had when I first published was quite, I think it was like um it was like a black and white photo and I think I wrote the title on it possibly in Times New Roman it just was it was really bad uh, these days you have to be much more savvy and and you have to have a marketing plan in place and everything but I think when I first started it was still I think the um the reading public were still a little bit more forgiving of of um of indie published authors <laughs> what's next for Clara the writer what are you working on now and have you got new projects I do. I have, I have lots of exciting projects on the way. Um, I am. I have been promising a new Freddie book for for a year, but he seems to have um, he seems to have stalled slightly. But I yes, I, I am working on him at the moment. I'm also um, writing um, um, at least one historical fiction book. I'm I'm working. Uh, I, I can't say too much about it because it's not all um, sorted. But I'm. I, I am actually. Um, I have had had some input from an actual um, traditional publisher about. Um, a historical novel set in World War Two, which is, it's a lot less cheerful than my usual stuff. It's it's kind of all kind of um, kind of doomed romance and, and intrigue and and people dying and stuff. But you know, obviously, the World War Two is not necessarily the most cheerful period to be writing about. But um, no, it's I'm, I'm very much enjoying writing that. It's 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 quite a nice change. But again, it's the historical fiction that I seem to be uh that's what that's what what's, um my career yes. seems to be channeling me towards so I, I hope to finish that in then hopefully in the next couple of months and then and, and then then we'll see I don't, I don't have um I, I don't have a particular schedule for this year I'm, I'm waiting to see how things pan out and that's a standalone is it that book you're referring to it will be a standalone but um if 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 it um if it gets published by the publisher there will be a, um I think there probably will be another one after it, it, it it'll be again um not not a related novel, but there there might be another one. I don't know. I I, I can't really say too much because I don't really sure. know what's going on at the moment. I'm we're, we're still kind of in the sure. early days. Now, do you like interacting with your readers? And if so, where can they find you online? Uh, yes, I do interact with readers. Um, I I, um, I answer emails. Um, you can email me at uh, Clara at clarabenson dot com if you like. I always answer emails, um, unless they're abusive, but nobody ever abuses me. Um, um, I'm on I'm on Facebook um, at Clara Benson Books, where I, I post um, usually silly photos from <laughs> old newspapers. <laughs> um, yeah, I also have a website, clarabenson.com. I'm kind of on Goodreads. I don't do much on Goodreads. I occasionally post a review of a book I've read, um, and if if, if they, you don't get notifications when somebody answers, asks you a question, but if I see a notification that somebody's asked me a question, I'll try and answer it. So yes, I am. I am uh, keen to prove I am alive and well. And um, reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated, as the saying goes. <laughs> That's a wonderful way to finish this chat. <laughs> <laughs> Most appropriate. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> thank you so much, Clara. It's been wonderful chatting. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. 
And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.